0: You know, um, thank you guys for uh, leading us and doing that. Man, that's just an important thing, to to say true things together. In the history of the church, the the weekly gathering, all group gathering where um, Christians come together and also... People that are inspecting the claims of Christianity come together in the history of uh, the church. It's so important, that sun, this Sunday kind of a gathering. And so we're at one small part of what's happening all over the world today where people gather in the name of Jesus Christ. Some people that are gathering, just like some of you, do so because they've been invited by believers. But you may be skeptical and not believe. And I just want you to know that this is a safe place to ask questions. Uh, As I've built relationships with people that are unchurched and do not believe as I do in Jesus as Lord. Uh, Many of them are skeptics because whenever they had honest questions, those questions were not answered, but instead uh, people got mad at them for asking questions. And and one thing that we, we believe in here is that this should be a safe, casual, spiritual place to examine the teachings of the Bible, Jesus Christ. I feel no pressure to convince you of anything, but I feel deeply that what's revealed about who God is and who Jesus is in the Bible... That this is so true and so real and so worth giving our lives to. And you know, on a day like today, it's interesting because as I baptized my oldest son, and I, I can't tell you how meaningful that is to me. And I'll definitely take some time this afternoon just to kind of pause and reflect and be alone and just think about how valuable and important it is in the sort of in my own story and the story of my family, but. Um, I, I think back to my own childhood, and in the early days where God began stirring my heart, I was fortunate to grow up in a home where my uh, mother and my stepdad. Um, did Andrew break something back there, or what's, what's going on? I'm having start how to start and you already trying kind to of cut me off. Um, Uh, And so I grew up in a home where I had um, my parents were divorced when I was a child. It was very traumatic for uh, me and my sister. But I grew up in a home where where I was fortunate to be in a church. And so I heard the message of the gospel, the good news of the Bible, which is simply that God is holy, we are not. We're separated from God because of our sin. But God loves us enough to send Jesus to die on a cross. And there's this mysterious exchange where we get Jesus' uh, perfection or His righteousness. He gets our sin and we get new life. And I remember as a child hearing that story and something in my heart was churned up about it. And, and, uh, and I understood it at the level that I, I think my son, Kobe, a seven, at seven years old as a child can understand, which is a reasonable uh, degree of belief and faith. And, uh, and so I believed, and I went forward and... and um, and, and begin this journey of trying to figure out who is God and what does it mean to to obey the Bible and what does it mean to be in fellowship with other Christians. And and I, I learned to do the thing where I was religious and uh, I, I could do the Christianity thing, but I also had this life kind of hidden from most people where I indulged in immorality and, and uh, in the ways of the world. And I got to this point in my early adulthood years where I literally was like, I've got to quit playing this game. I'm either going to believe or not. And, and by God's kindness, the Bible said it's by God's kindness that we're led to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I believe God was kind to me. He drew my heart into deeper faith in Jesus Christ. And this began a journey for me. I was on course to go to the University of Arkansas and I got invited from my undergraduate program to go to the University of Arkansas and uh, get a gradu- do graduate studies in mathematics. And I was going to be a teacher's assistant also. I was going to get paid $900 a month, which as a college student, that sounded like a lot of money, right? And, um, and as a church planter, it sounds like a lot of money, too. But anyway, um, and so, uh, and so, but, I, but, I, but God arrested my heart and said, no, I want you to do something different. I want to take you, busted, broken, bruised, imperfect Russell Cravens, and I'm going to marry you to Jeannie, and I'm going to invite you to lead people on mission in this world. And so this has been my own story. And so I think back to my own baptism and how meaningful it was and how, and how even now I have opportunity to share with others and lead others. And I want you to know that um, whatever your church experience has been, some of you, most of you have had some type of church experience. Some of your experiences are in a setting where the religious leaders aren't as concerned about what's going on in your heart and more concerned about what you do, like the acts of religiosity. But if we press into the Scriptures, what we see is that God... Uh, looks beyond our acts of religion to our hearts to see what's really gone on in there. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then you have constructed some sort of system where you process things in this world and where you try to deal wisely with things. It's interesting. Today's scripture is is just a few verses. And we've begun this series in the book of James where we're going to slowly walk through it. And we see that in James there are a lot of of statements or just kind of like really practical statements and I introduced last week uh, the idea that that James is like a a Twitter account and so some of you are familiar with that but it's basically like if you're familiar with Facebook you know Facebook the status updates and so Twitter is like basically just status updates and so James is like that where he just gives these little status updates or tweets where he gives these little pithy statements and they're all so practical they really are there's 54 imperatives and 108 verses. And every one of them feel immediately applicable to our lives. And today, what we're going to deal with and what we read in scripture, and my role is simply to read it and then to teach you and to help you understand it. We're going to deal with something that has been sought after by every human history. It's something that every person in this room has needed at their most important points in life it is something that you need at this point in your life and it's something that you will need more of as you get older especially as others come to you wanting some of this it's not money you might think it's money it sounds like it especially those of you that are parents of teenagers or college students you know the older you get the more they want Instead, what we're going to read about today is this idea of wisdom. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, wisdom. In this very practical—I make sure you're still awake. Okay. In this very practical letter to these new Christians, James offers truth that applies not only to new Christians, although he's writing to new Christians because this is just 20 years or so after the birth of the Christian Church, uh, but he's he's writing something that implies even to those of you that have followed Jesus Christ for many years. And so, let's read together in James chapter one, starting in verse five, going through verse eight. Would you stand to your feet as I read these? Verses that I'll be teaching to you today. James chapter 1, verse 5. At the end of me reading them, then we all say together, May God bless the reading of his word. So here we go. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with the wave of the sea that is driven in all his ways. May God bless this Word. So what is happening here is James is writing this letter to... Er- and he is... James is writing this letter to this early group of Christians, and he's already dealt in the first four verses with their present circumstance. Their present circumstance is that they're experiencing trials. They're experiencing suffering primarily because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So their belief that Jesus is God in the flesh died on the cross to give people new life has brought on some difficulty and some suffering. But what he is saying not only applies to those that are experiencing suffering as a result of their faith, but also to any trial that you're experiencing in your life. And so what he says in chapter 1, verses 4 through 4, or 1 through 4, is that you were to count it all joy when we experience trials of various kinds. This is from last week. Which basically means that whenever something difficult happens to you, or you're experiencing some sort of difficulty, rather than putting that in the deficit column, put it in the profit column. Count it as joy. Because you should know... That when you experience difficulty, something happens in you that you become stronger for it. Well, here he deals, in starting in verse 5, with this issue of wisdom. And no doubt that in the midst of their difficulties, they're going to need wisdom. Look there. If any of you lacks wisdom, now wisdom is a major theme in human thinking throughout history. Every reasonable religious group, or philosophical uh, persuasion talks about wisdom. So I want to just kind of put before you what some of the others say. You know, the Muslims who see Jesus as a great prophet, but do not believe that he is God in the flesh, believing instead that Muhammad got a word from God, he wrote the Quran, and there are different components to Islam, certainly, but their understanding of wisdom on paper is much like ours in Christianity. They they believe that, that Allah provides wisdom to them and it's in part made available to them because of their sacred writings. But their understanding of wisdom is different than Christianity's understanding of wisdom. It's not the same. Another... Uh, so of every theistic religion, in other words, uh, religious, l- religions that believe in a God, God's exist. for instance, Hinduism, uh, some of you may be, uh, familiar with Hinduism. Hinduism is what's called pantheistic and they, they believe that there are gods, there's a God, but there are many gods and there are gods in a lot of things. It's a very complex kind of religion. Well, their understanding of wisdom, to be quite honest, is, is hard to pin down. I mean, they... Believe at some level, you kind of come up with it on your own, or it's given to you by one of these one of these gods that they've created and that they worship. But that's of the, of the theistic kinds of religions, and there are many more theistic religions, religions that believe in God. But speaking of atheistic religions, these are these are religions that don't that believe that there is no God. Atheistic, no God, no theos. I have a friend that I am um, growing to love more and more every day. He has adopted Buddhism. Now, Buddhism is an atheistic religion. They do not believe that there is a God. Instead, they have adopted this way of thinking, first um, captured by a man by the name of Buddha. And so he's kind of the one who initiated the, the, the... setting into motion these ideas, and they have filtered it down. in Buddhism is very, very difficult, again, to, to pin down. And my friend who is a Buddhist would, uh, would say the same, that there are many different sects and, and understandings within Buddhism. But basically what it boils down to is that in, in Buddha... According to Buddha, they center around these four noble truths, which essentially state that life is comprised of suffering. And I know this, this might interest you. I sent him an email. His name is Brett, and he'll probably listen to this this podcast. And, and um, I sent him an email, and at the top I wrote uh, in the subject line, Can Buddha help me? Uh, that's the kind of relationship we have. We kind of make fun of each other a little bit. But anyway... Um, and, uh, and so anyway, so he gives me this. They have this thing called the Eightfold Path, right understanding, thought, speech, action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And he says in his response to my question about how Buddhism thinks about wisdom, there are many branches and sects of Buddhism. And here, here's what he says related to how they attain wisdom. This wisdom can only come from within. It can't be granted externally. And it never comes without hard work, dedication, and a disciplined mind. This is why sometimes you'll see good-natured Buddhists wearing shirts that say, Inquire Within. So the Buddhists believe that wisdom comes from within. And it it is exposed or brought to the surface uh, best by a life comprised of suffering and it 's what he 's saying about wisdom is uniquely different than Christianity and what the Bible says about how we get wisdom. Uh, I mentioned um, Islam already, and we could we could go down the list uh, a- a- atheism in general. Uh, sees wisdom as resulting from the the capacity of the human mind to 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 think about something. It's kind of humanistic. It's not not a, a belief that there's a supernatural being who gives wisdom or helps us attain wisdom. Instead, and this is to be quite honest, uh, secular hu- humanism is the prevailing religion of the, the people that are in uh, side of the loop in Houston, Texas. It's this belief. That that really, my mind is the greatest force to provide wisdom that I need to deal with lo- what life brings me. And, and essentially, uh, secular humanism and also uh, any atheistic religion is, is, is positing that the mind is the place where there is wisdom. So if you're really, really intelligent, you're going to have a lot of wisdom. If you're dumb, not so much. So, But the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and it's interesting to note that this is a theme throughout not only human thinking and human history, but it's also a theme in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, people sought after wisdom, and it talks about how people receive wisdom. And it's what makes it distinctly different than every other religious group on the face of the planet. Because what the Bible says about wisdom is that wisdom comes from God. Not just any God. Not the God that exists in everything. But the God, the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The God one being, three persons, who's revealed himself... In the person and work of Jesus Christ, this is where wisdom comes from. Not some kind of hodgepodge idea of who God might be, but instead what the Bible reveals about who God is. This is where the kind of wisdom that you need every single day comes from, from God Almighty, God himself. He's a real being, not just a collection of ideas, and so this real being provides wisdom to people. And one of the times in a person's life where they have the greatest sense of their need for wisdom is in the midst of suffering, which is one reason I'm sure James brings this up at the very beginning of his letter, helping try and encourage these people that are suffering. Another time in Scripture where, what's the book of the Bible that you think of when you think about somebody really suffering? Job. Job chapter 28 verse 12. Job asked this question. In the midst of his suffering, where shall wisdom be found? In other words, how am I supposed to think about all that's going on around me? How am I supposed to deal with this difficulty? How am I supposed to process what's before me? Well, the sages of Israel believe that according to uh, their belief specifically in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom now when we say fear of the Lord it implies a devotion to Yahweh God the God that's revealed in the Bible and a resolve to walk in the ways of his law so in other words if you fear God it doesn't mean you cower you're always a cowing like he's an abusive father. So sometimes some of you, unfortunately, have an experience in your life where you think of fear as, as an, with a, to an authority figure over you because you had a really sorry kind of authority figure over you and they abused you and manipulated you instead of caring for you and, take, and, and, and leading you. But when we talk about fearing God, we're talking about being devoted to him because he's good and he's omniscient. He sees everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So the beginning of wisdom is to fear God, to be devoted to Him, and to commit ourselves to walking in His ways. For the Jewish mind, this meant very practically, how can I trust God daily, right? And this is where, when we talk about wisdom, it matters for tomorrow. All of you will have to make decisions tomorrow related to your friendships or your family, your business, your future. And simply what James is telling them is that in the midst of whatever you're dealing with, be it suffering or just really simple decisions, the place where you're going to find wisdom is from God. And according to James, it's a gift from God, not our natural human ability. Sometimes when we talk about wisdom, we go, man, that guy's really, he's got a lot of wisdom. We think, well, he's really smart. The kind of wisdom that James is talking about here is, is, is more like the kind of wisdom, the kind of person who understands that, that, that they need God to, to allow them to see things in this world in the way that he would want them to see them. So it far exceeds our natural abilities. So how do we get wisdom? Well, it's very interesting. James says here, to get wisdom, let him ask God. So he enters into this conversation about prayer. And prayer is something that many of you are familiar with. It's simply talking to God. And there are certainly moments when we talk to God for a long time and moments where we talk to God for a very short period of time. There are certainly people that believe that when you talk to God, it should be really fancy and really elaborate kind of a language. But I I, I prefer just talking to God like I would my own wife. Just somebody that I love deeply and I want to be authentic and real with. But here, James says, if you want wisdom, here's what you do. Ask God for it. it. means that you value wisdom enough that you're going to take time out of your day to stop, to think about God, and to ask Him. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, Yahweh gives wisdom. Now, whenever you... Have a situation where you need wisdom from God and you ask Him. For those of you that are not followers of Jesus Christ, God's response to you is very clear in the scripture. Repent and be saved. Believe in Jesus as Lord. There's something hindering your ability to hear God whenever you're not in a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible describes you as someone being an enemy of God. But you deserve is God's wrath for your sin instead of God's love because He sees instead of your sin, the, He sees the righteousness of Christ. So th- for those of you that want wisdom and understand that you can't get it from within or some, some sort of natural ability, but And believe that God can give you wisdom the very first thing you ought to do is hear this God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross and whenever Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead there's this mysterious beautiful exchange where your sin went on his shoulders and his righteousness can be given to you the Bible describes your life once you believe that message, which is called the gospel or good news. It describes it as being made alive. You can now live free in a relationship with God and to see things in and around you the way God sees them. Some of you need that. You need your life to be changed. You live largely for yourself. You take care of yourself. But what God is saying is, no, I want you to live for me. For those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ already, say you need wisdom in something. I I tell you, I was trying to think of a time in my own life where I most needed God's wisdom. And I remembered very clearly whenever I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to marry Jeannie. We were married uh, in 1999, August 21st. And... um, got it. Jeannie put it on the inside of my ring here so just so i would never forget august 21st 1999 and uh, i remember like it was yesterday whenever um we had had it certainly had a conversation about uh you know if you're smart you make sure they're going to say yes before you ask them and uh, we'd had a conversation i'd already asked her dad if if he would he would bless my proposal to to her of marriage and and God did a miracle in our lives financially because I worked in early in the ministry and I, I didn't I didn't have any money and I knew we needed to be married, and um, and God provided uh, some money so uh, I had a ring and money for it was a wonderful sort of journey for us and, and faith walk for us. But I remember as I was going to get the ring, I don't know, guys, those of you that are married, if you can remember that, what it's like to go and get that ring, because. When I was on my way to get that ring, a lot went through my mind. And it could be boiled down to this one thing. And, and should I do this? Right? I mean, I love Jeannie. She's beautiful. And, you know, and she's a wonderful person, a wonderful woman. But at the end of the day, I was getting ready to make a commitment. And I knew I would never, ever, ever break it because I grew up in a broken, uh, separated parents, and divorced home. And I was like, when I get married, that's it. I don't come hell or high water. I'm staying married to that woman. And, um... And I remember as I was going over there, I was just asking God, God, get, just give me wisdom, you know. And it's kind of a mysterious thing, like God, is this right? Is this right for me? Is this right for her? Is this, is, is the timing right? Right. It was just a very simple request, like God, I just want to make sure. And and you know what. I believe God kind of whispered in my heart these verses out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And this may help you as you're thinking about making wise decisions. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For he who asks receives. Seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door is open. You see, what we must understand about God is that God is very generous. God is very generous. And for those that are in Christ, when you're faced with a difficulty and you want to know how to think about it or how to act, whatever decision you're trying to make and you need wisdom, ask Him. But don't overcomplicate what you hear as being the answer. Instead, remember this, God is generous. He He wants... to give to you what you want. And so I think it's really fair. If you're walking with God and you're in the Scripture and you're spending time in prayer, what do you want? God, I, I knew in that moment all those years ago that I believe God just said to me, Russell, you, you're walking with me. You're my child and, and you're not perfect by any means, but what do you want? I'll like, say, I want to marry this woman. She's yours. So how do we make wise decisions? There's, there's, there's no need to overcomplicate it. I think it begins with us trusting Jesus as Lord. And then it's this beautiful dance with God where we, we, we have a need and we ask Him and we examine the Scriptures to see if there's an immediate answer or, or we just we ask and we, and we beg God to, to sort of reveal in our own hearts what He would want for us. Believing that God is a generous Generous God. You know, generosity is one of our... Kind of key words around here at Neartown Church. It's, it's one of our values, a third of our three we have four values. They're new relationships, everyday connections, radical generosity, and global impact. And not only is it one of our four values, this idea of generosity, but it's also one of the ways we measure success as a church. We believe that if we're accomplishing the mission in the, the lives of people, then people are going to be generous. So we have a very d- generous group of people already. So when we think about how to get wisdom, we we pray and we ask God. So verse 5 says there's this divine aspect that God is generous to all who ask. You've got to believe that. He's a good God. And He gives without reproach. In other words, He doesn't give and say, oh, you owe me one. No. God wants to pour out blessing and pour out goodness on His followers and on His children. He's happy to do it. This is this is part of who God is. But there's also a human aspect to this idea of praying for wisdom. Look in verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So the praying that receives an answer from God is marked by faith in the absence of doubt. He's saying once you ask God, don't doubt when He gives you a response. Move forward. For the person who doubts whether or not God is generous is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. If you're insecure in your sort of belief that God could be generous or good to you by providing an answer to you or direction to you, then um, you're like a wave of the sea. He goes on to say you're double-minded. It's a really rich kind of a word here, meaning wavering or lacking in faith. In the time we must not be double-minded but singly-minded is certainly in the midst of faith, I mean in the midst of trial. We must have faith in the goodness of God to provide wisdom and answers and to move forward in whatever he has us making decisions on. James says a person that, that, that waffles or wavers in his understanding of the generosity of God is unstable in all his ways. God is generous. So, what do you do when you're needy, when you need wisdom? When you're faced with a big decision? What do you do? Have you responded to the good news of the Bible which says that you can enter into a relationship with God Almighty, a generous God, through faith in Jesus as Christ? If so, in that relationship with God, whenever you're faced with a difficulty uh, or just a decision to make and you want wisdom from God, how do you receive it? Do you consult your latest leadership principle? There's nothing wrong with adopting leadership principles, but are are you first of all? inclined to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this business decision? What do you want me to do in this difficult relationship? What do you want me to do? How should I respond, God? Then, I believe it is completely permissible to as long as you're not in the midst of some sort of grievous sin that would keep you from hearing God, ask, ask. If you're trying to make a financial decision, ask God to... Bless you and ask tell God what you would like and see if there's some some sort of affirmation or confirmation that God is in the midst of that. What do you do when you're needy? What do you need wisdom on?